0: It's good to be with you this morning. Um, And thank you to the Create team for all the work on that video. Um, I think they had quite a lot of fun filming it. But um, yeah, um, I think, and we're going to be showing that um, through the series to remind us that why we're looking at this series, why we're looking at faith, hope, hope and love, that um, as we as we're in this time of change, as we sense this time of disruption, as we um, sense that God is calling us to step into things, it seems to us that faith and hope are essential tools for the journey, that love um, is required um, as we step into the new, as we step into the unknown. Um, these are the tools that we need to um, help us step over those thresholds, whatever those thresholds may be um, for us. So we're looking at faith, hope, and love, and this morning I wanna look at Hope, um, and hope is the antidote. Um, I don't know if I can see that up there. Um, but hope is the antidote. Um, that, and hopefully that will become clear. I wanna, I wanna flick through a few quotes um, about hope to get us started. Um, Nelson Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it's done. Barack Obama said this, hope is not blind optimism. It's not ignoring the enormity of the roadblocks that stand in our path. It's not sitting on the sidelines, shirking from a fight. Hope is that thing inside us that insists, despite all the evidence to the contrary, that something better awaits us if we have the courage to reach for it and to fight for it. Hope is the belief that destiny will not be written for us, but by us by the men and women who are not content to settle for the world as it is, who have the courage to remake the world as it should be. I miss him. Um, (laughs) Michelle Obama, don't ever make decisions based on fear, make decisions based on hope and possibility, make decisions based on what should happen, not what shouldn't. So often we can be driven By fear, Um, trying to avoid outcomes rather than trying to pursue outcomes. Um, So, an important quote there from Michelle Obama. Um, And then, but it's not just politicians um, that talk about hope. Um, C.S. Lewis, theologian, said, Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Hope is something that pulls us forward. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual posture um, that we are called to take. Um, 1 Peter, um, it's not just theologians, but um, in the Bible itself, 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, hope is woven through the scriptures, which is great for me because hope is my story hope is the thing that that stirs me that gets to me that yeah that gets into my soul so you know i'm not necessarily a guy who cries a lot but you put the right story with the right music on x factor and i'm a bloody mess like just this story of hope that can come out from, some, from somebody, someone who's been silenced for so long or someone who's never had the opportunity or never fulfilled what they're created to do and then they get to sing and then, or something happens and they have this moment and it's not just that, there's all sorts of shows. Um, my kids love Queer Eye, which is about this, this group of guys who go around and they transform people's lives and they call out their identity and they help them um, become who they were created to be. A, and, and there's all sorts of shows like that on TV, but it's not just um, in shows, it's in movies. My you know, favourite movie ever, I think, is Shawshank Redemption, which is all about hope. Hope gets to me. And when you see, when you hear a story, when you hear a testimony, when you encounter someone, when, when you hear a story of somebody who has found faith in Christ, I don't know what it does to you, but to me, it gets to every part of my being. It just stirs me and moves me and challenges me. Because hope is this powerful idea. Hope is a powerful idea and it's my story. And the Bible is full of stories of hope. Hope is woven through the scriptures. Hope in, at times of great joy, and but hope at times of great struggle. Stories of transformation and freedom and healing and redemption. Amazing stories of hope, all through the Bible. Stories of failure, but where God intervenes and pulls people out of the situations they're in, where God meets people time and time and time again, right in the middle of their circumstance and shows them a way out, a way forward. In Mark chapter five we see one of my favorite stories in the Bible Um, and it says this. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, him being Jesus, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better she grew worse. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This story of this woman is a really interesting story. Because this woman has been... Bleeding for 12 years, which is a medical problem, but it's a social and a religious problem too, because the Old Testament has some laws about that and says that when, if a woman is menstruating, she's supposed to keep herself away from the community. She's supposed to, she can't be accessed into the temple or into the synagogue, she can't be in relationship with people, she needs to keep herself away. Then she needs, um, for that time, for, that, for those days, And then to be reintegrated into the community, she needs some blessing from the priest, which will generally cost money. And, And this is a situation she's living in, except this isn't just happening for a few days. This has been happening for 12 years. And the law says that not only is she unclean, but anybody she touches is unclean. Can you imagine the social exile that this woman has been experiencing? The hopelessness she's been feeling. At what point do you think she got to where she just thought, you know, maybe it's always going to be like this. Maybe it's never going to change. At what point do you think she ran out of hope that anything would be any different? This social exclusion, this physical pain and discomfort. The shame of being regarded constantly unclean. The shame of not being able to touch anybody. And yet, she hears about Jesus and her response to that is a response of hope. Her response to that is to push through the crowd i.e., touching a bunch of people, and to touch the cloak of Jesus, which seems like a really odd thing, doesn't it? Until you look at Malachi 4. Now, Malachi 4 is the last chapter of the Old Testament, of the Jewish scriptures. And Malachi 4 says this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. So that's why she touched the edge of his cloak. You might be looking at me going, I don't know, sorry, Adam, I don't quite get it. What, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. What does that have to do? The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. But this, this is what was going on at the time. So in Jewish culture, you would wear a cloak, which would be called a talit. So if you can flick to the next slide, and you should be able to see one of these things. And you'd wear, and it's called a, and this, it'd be like a prayer shawl, it'd be like a shawl, and this prayer shawl would have edges to it, which would be called kanaf, which means wings. And on the edge of the kanaf would be the tzitzi, which you can see the little strands, threads coming down, and on all four, each of the four corners, you would have these tzitzi coming down, and they'd have a blue thread in them, which means um, royalty, which symbolized royalty, um, from King David, um, but it would symbolize royalty. Um, the, and then it would have a number of threads coming down on each corner. And it, w- it was int- intricate to their whole faith. So they worked on a little bit of numerology and the words of Tzitzit had, or each letter had different values and that would add up to 1600. And Then you add on the, the, um, f- the eight strands that would be coming down on each corner and each of them would have five knots in or four knots in, so there'd be five sections each reference in one book of the Pentateuch because you had the eight to the five is 613 and there are 613 laws in the Old Testament and this was how they remembered the 613 laws of God. It was an important piece of attire. And this scripture said that the son of righteousness would rise with healing in his wings and this legend grew that when the Messiah came, the edge of his cloak, which is called the kanaf, which means wings, if you touch the edge of his cloak, you would be healed. And this woman pushes through a crowd to touch his cloak, and she's healed. What an incredible story. Interesting, isn't it, that the law says that anyone she touches will be made unclean, but what happens is... Instead of Jesus being made unclean when she touches him, she's made clean. It's a reversal of the law. This hope that comes out of this story, this moment of freedom for a woman, this moment of healing for a woman, that must have got to the point where hope was gone, where she'd started thinking, I will always be like this. She'd been to all the doctors, she'd been to all the priests, she had pursued everything she could and found no healing, and yet she took this act of faith and hope came flooding into her life. See, hope is a really powerful thing. And it's no doubt that this woman must have must have found herself at a loss, believing that this is how it would always be. And you see, we develop a poverty mindset. We develop a poverty mindset that, that it roots us in the immediate. Now what we all, we're taught in our consumeristic society think of poverty in terms of finance, financial poverty. And it's true, you know, if we're stuck in financial poverty or if we've developed a poverty mindset, of not enough never enough that that can root us in the immediate we're surviving we're getting by because it tells us that life will always be like this we will always be like this we'll never have enough so if one day we get some sort of windfall then we'll spend it we'll enjoy it in the moment in the immediate with no belief that anything long-term, tomorrow I'll still be poor. But you see, poverty isn't just about money. Poverty can relate to all sorts of areas of our life. It can relate to health, like this woman. It can relate to our spiritual lives. It can relate to our relation- in our relationships, in our families, in our careers. We just get to a point where we go, do you know what? Maybe this is just it. Maybe this is just always how it's gonna be. Maybe I've just not, maybe I've just gotta settle because maybe sometimes it's the hope that kills you, right, because it just keeps getting crushed. And so we lose hope and we develop this poverty mindset around whatever it is that just roots us in the media. This is it. And in our spirituality, you know, it might be that we've, we've had those moments of great optimism and great hope and you know God's gonna do these amazing things or God's calling me to do these amazing things or God wants me to be involved in this stuff or God's given me, I think you know, God's gonna give me the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy or you know, the gift of teaching or the gift of serving or the gift of whatever it might be that we think is the gift that God's gonna give us and then it just doesn't ever really come to pass or promises that God's given us and they don't just ever really quite happen and we settle and our hope starts to disappear and trickle away. Maybe we were praying for something or someone and it didn't happen. And we settle, right? And we kind of develop maybe a poverty mindset of well, this is just how it is. You know, great, I mean if I have a moment Today during worship. If I have a moment with God, that's great, but this is kind of all it's ever going to be. We get stuck in a poverty mindset. This is all it's ever going to be. This is as good as it gets. You know, I might pray from time to time for someone's healing, but I don't really ever think I'm going to see that amazing healing. I might. And an occasional sermon here or there, but I'm never really going to see that moment. Or God has spoken prophecies over your life and you've given up on them. Are we living in spiritual poverty? But you see, that's why more, you know, if, it's, if you're talking about financial poverty, more money isn't necessarily the antidote to poverty. The antidote to poverty is hope. Hope is the antidote to poverty because if poverty is something that roots us into the moment, roots us into the immediate, and says this is all it's ever going to be, this is as good as it's ever going to get, nothing's ever really going to change. Well, the antidote to that is hope, because hope tells us that tomorrow can be better than today. Tomorrow tells us, hope tells us that our future doesn't have to be defined by our past. And how many stories do we hear where, you know, you hear stories like, oh, well, this my life was this, and it was this, and it was this, it this, it this, it was this, and it was this, and then I met Jesus, and then my life was transformed. And that doesn't mean we don't have struggles again, that doesn't mean we don't have difficulties again, it doesn't mean that we're not we might not go through whatever again, whatever struggles it might have been. But a hope is born in us, birthed in us. They're stories that engender hope in us, that root hope in us, because hope is the antidote to poverty. It tells us that tomorrow can be better than today. It tells us that our future doesn't have to be defined by our past. Hope is this powerful thing, and hope is at the center of the scriptures. You see, hope, our gospel is a gospel of hope. The gospel that we believe in, the story that we're part of, is a gospel of hope, is a story of hope. It's a gospel that says, you don't have to live like that anymore. Now, I know that maybe that's not always how it's been presented. I know that maybe at times we've presented it in, you must not live like that anymore. And maybe we've come down quite strong or dictatorial or whatever, but the gospel that we see in scripture, the invitation that we see in scripture, the way that we see Jesus interacting with people, Jesus always brings hope into the room. Jesus always brings hope into the room. Whether it's the blind guy outside the temple who's been blind since birth, surely has no other expectation than this is how it's always gonna be and yet Jesus shows up. And heals him. Whatever miracle you think about, whatever interaction, whether it's the woman at the well, whether it's um, the lame guy on the mat, whether it's Peter and John outside the temple and this guy's asking for money because He's stuck in poverty. This is all it's ever going to be. This is as good as it's ever going to get. He's begging. And they come out and they go, look, we haven't got money, but we have got this. Get up. They bring hope into the situation. And hope isn't always about the, the ridiculous miracle, although it is about that. And we get to bring that. But it's about the love, it's about the meeting the people in their situation, it's about sharing the journey with people and reminding them, bringing the hope into that conversation, We say, you know, I don't believe that this is how it's always gonna be. There is a deeper hope that we carry. This gospel that says you don't have to live like that anymore is such a gospel of hope that we get to bring. This is the gospel that we bring. But the problem is I think often our hope gets worn down. The flame starts to dwindle or just drop down to a pilot light or maybe it's gone out altogether. And not in every area, but are there areas where that's happened? In Ezekiel 37, it says this, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Or, I have no clue. You'd always feel him going, this is is a trick question, because um, all logic says no. But (laughs) maybe you're doing something. And he says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign law says to these parents. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. I'm always a little bit confused at this point. Why is he not looking at the bones that he's prophesying over? Why is it all happening behind him? So he hears the noise, but he doesn't see what's going on. Anyway, that's just my head, my visualisation. He's looking the other way. But anyway, he's prophesied. And there's a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up, And our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Well, that's a little bit of an odd passage, isn't it? But this picture of this prophet in this valley full of bones, and God says prophesy over them, and as he prophesies over them, they start coming together and forming Forming bodies. Which again, in my head, I just kind of have this like, is anyone organizing this? I like kind of go, we need a couple more ribs over here. Like, is anyone, like, or does it just happen? I don't, I don't anyway, again, my mind, I apologize. So, um, all these bones are coming together and then the sinews coming and the skin's forming and it's all coming together. And then he says, breathe, prophesy, breath. And life comes. And life comes. And then he says, if we can move to the next slide, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. God's people have lost hope. Hope. Their hope is gone. Their bones are dried up. I don't, do you ever feel like that? Do like, you ever find it's hard to dig out that hope sometimes? Are there areas of your life, areas of your spiritual life where the dreams have died, the hope is gone? I don't ever think that's really ever going to happen anymore. Maybe it's a moment. Maybe you're still telling the story of 20 years ago. But God wants to give us a new story. God wants to rebirth hope. God wants to call out life where there's death. God wants to speak and prophesy to these bones to come back to life, are we living in spiritual poverty? Have we been hurt, have we been burned, have we failed in some way that we just don't think there's ever gonna be a path back for us, really? I mean, yes, we're in, we're kind of forgiven, I'm sure it'll all be fine when we die and go to heaven, but for this life, nah, blew it. Have we ever felt like that? God says, come back to life. God says, have breath. God calls out hope, calls out life when hope is gone, when our light is out, when the flame is dead. God reignites. God wants to speak life over us. God wants to speak fire over us. God wants to speak hope over us. Have we lost hope? Have we given up? Because God wants to reignite those dreams and those prophecies. God wants to stir us, to step out into the promises he's made to us, to step out into the callings he's put in us, to step into the giftings that he's birthed in us to take those courageous steps of faith to trust him God says on the next slide I will put my spirit in you and you will live this is his promise for the church you see Hope is the antidote to poverty. It tells us that tomorrow can be better than today. Our future doesn't have to be defined by our past. And we, as the church, are ambassadors of this hope. Hope is our story. The story that we get to tell, not just here on a Sunday morning, but in our classrooms and in our workplaces and in our communities and in our exercise groups and in our whatever it is wherever we are whatever we're doing hope is our story see our gospel is a gospel of hope a gospel that says you don't have to live like that anymore but maybe we need to be reminded that we don't need to live like that anymore. Maybe this isn't just a story that we get to tell. This is a story that we're invited to live out. This is an invitation for us. So Joe, can you and the guys come back up? We are a people of hope we have a story of hope to tell and to live out. But at the beginning of this series, you know, for some of you, you might feel really inspired and like, come on, let's go. I am ready for this. Let's go and do it. I am all hoped up. Like, they are good to go. Just set me loose. Great, great. And there might be some of you this morning going, uh, I'm probably struggling with that a little bit. That's touching some nerves, that's pressing some buttons for me, that's, hope's difficult. Because I had this happen, because I did this, because someone else did this, because whatever it might be. And so what I want us to do this morning is, Joe leads us, I want us to, I want us to invite the spirit of God to come, to breathe life to stir hope in us and look it might be this doesn't need to be dramatic you know for some of us this might be a flame small flame in us that just burst to life this morning whatever the spirit wants to do just wants to burst some flames into life but for some of us Maybe some of us where the flame's been gone for quite a bit. He just wants to spark that little pilot light. Just wants to rebirth the seeds of hope in us.